decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios. High atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Tuesday, October 18th, 2022. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Hope your Monday went well. You got through the day, kept the boss happy, all that good stuff. Mm. And I'm drinking coffee. I need more coffee. All right, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast that is dedicated primarily to the public reading of Scripture and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. And we are a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. Head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org. You can check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. always want to point you in that direction because there's good stuff for you to listen to. All right, we are reading through the entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible Translation this year. And we are in the midst of week 42, 42 of 52. And we're getting close to the end. And our scripture reading today is Obadiah, Jeremiah 40 through 42, Psalm 147, and 1 Peter 5. And then on the heels of recent news, I want to talk a little bit about the death penalty and the Bible. So that's going to be our topic of discussion. Well, let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now the book of Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says Lord Yahweh concerning Edom. We have heard a report from Yahweh, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us arise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the cliff, in the height of your habitation, who says in his heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build loftily like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares Yahweh. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not thieve only until they had enough? If grape-gatherers came to you, 
Would they not allow some gleaning to remain? Oh, how Esau will be searched out and his hidden treasures ransacked. All the men who have a covenant with you will send you forth to the border, and men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They will eat your bread, will set an ambush for you. There is no discernment in him. Will I not on that day, declares Yahweh, cause the wise men to perish from Edom and discernment from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Timon, so that each one may be cut off from the mountains of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will, cover, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers took his wealth captive, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Now do not look on your brother's day with triumph, the day of his misfortune, and do not be glad over the sons of Judah in the day when they perish. And do not let your mouth speak great things in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Indeed, you do not look on their calamity with triumph in the day of their disaster. And do not send out for their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down those among them who escape. And do not deliver over their survivors in the day of their disaster. For the day of Yahweh draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because, just as you all drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow, and they will be as if they never were. But on Mount Zion there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will, will possess their possessions." Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau will be a stubble. And they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau, for Yahweh has spoken. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of the Shephelah the Philistine plain, and they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of this military force of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. And the survivors will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will belong to Yahweh. Now Jeremiah chapter 40. The word which came to Jeremiah from Yahweh after... Nebuzaradan, captain of the bodyguard, had released him from Ramah, when he had taken him bound in chains among all the exiles of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. And the captain of the bodyguard had taken Jeremiah and said to him, Yahweh your God, promise this calamity against this place. And Yahweh has brought it on and done just as he promised, because you people sinned against Yahweh and did not listen to his voice. Therefore this thing has happened to you. Now, behold, I am freeing you today from the chains which are on your hands. If it is good in your eyes to come with me to Babylon, come along, and I will set my eyes to look after you. But if it is displeasing in your eyes to come with me to Babylon, never mind. Look, the whole land is before you. Go wherever it seems good and right in your eyes to go. But as Jeremiah had not yet set out to return, he said, Return then to Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, 
the son of Shephan, whom the king of Babylon has appointed over the cities of Judah, and stay with him among the people, or else go anywhere that is right in your eyes to go. So the captain of the bodyguard gave him a ration and a gift and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Mizpah to Gedaliah the son of Ahakim and stayed with him among the people who remained in the land. Then all the commanders of the military forces that were in the field, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah the son of Ahikam over the land, and that he had appointed him over the men, women, little ones, and those the poorest of the land who had not been exiled to Babylon. So they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, along with Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, and Johanan and Jonathan the sons of Kareah, and Saraiah the son of Tanhumeth, and the sons of Ephi the Netophathite, and Jezaniah, the son of Maacathite, both they and their men. Then Gedaliah, the sons of Ahikam, the son of Shephan, swore to them and to their men, saying, Do not be afraid of serving the Chaldeans. Stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon, that it may go well with you. Now as for me, behold, I am going to stay at Mizpah to stand for you before the Chaldeans who come to us. But as for you... Gather in wine and summer fruit and oil and put them in your storage vessels and stay in your cities that you have seized. And also all the Jews who were there, who were in Moab, among the sons of Ammon and Edom and who were in all the other lands, heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant for Judah and that he had appointed over them Gedaliah the son of Ahakim, the son of Shephan. Then all the Jews returned from all the places to which they had been banished and came to the land of Judah, to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and gathered in wine and summer fruit in great abundance. Now Johanan, the son of Keriah, and all the commanders of the military forces that were in the field, came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, and said to him, Do you indeed know that Baalus, the king of the sons of Ammon, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to strike down your life? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam did not believe them. Then Johanan the son of Keriah spoke secretly to Gedaliah and Mizpah, saying, Let me go and strike down Ishmael the son of Nethaniah, and not a man will know. Why should he strike down your life, so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered, and the remnant of Judah would perish? But Gedaliah the son of Ahakam said to Johanan the son of Keriah, do not do this thing, for you are telling a lie about Ishmael. Chapter 41. Now it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal seed, and one of the chief officers of the king, along with ten men, came to Mizpah to Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam, and they were eating bread together there in Mizpah. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the ten men who were with him arose and struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahakim, and the son of Shephan, with the sword, and put, put to death the one whom the king of Babylon had appointed over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is, with Gedaliah at Mizpah, as well as the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. Now it happened on the next day, after putting Gedaliah to death, when no one knew about it, that eighty men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, 
and from Samaria with their beards shaved off and their clothes torn and their bodies gashed, having grain offerings and frankincense in their hands to bring to the house of Yahweh. Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went. And it happened that as he encountered them, he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam. But it happened that as soon as they came inside the city, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the men who were with him slaughtered them and cast them into the cistern. But ten men who were found among them said to Ishmael, Do not put us to death, for we have stores of wheat, barley, oil, and honey hidden in the field. So he refrained and did not put them to death along with their companions. Now as for the cistern, where Ishmael had cast all the corpses of the men whom he had struck down because of Gedaliah, it was the one that King Asa had made on account of Baasha, king of Israel. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael took captive all the remnant of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters, and all the people who remained in Mizpah, over whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, had appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahakim. Thus Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, took them captive and went to cross over to the sons of Ammon. But Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the commanders of the military force that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done. So they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. Now it happened, as soon as all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the commanders of the military force that were with him, they were glad. So all the people whom Ishmael had taken captive from Mizpah turned around and returned and went to Johanan, the son of Kariah. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the sons of Ammon. Then Johanan, the son of Kariah, and all the commanders of the military force that were with him took from Mizpah all the remnant of the people whom he had returned from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam. That is, the mighty men who were men of war, the women, the little ones, and the eunuchs, whom he had returned from Gibeon. And they went and stayed in Gareth Kimham, which is beside Bethlehem, in order to proceed into Egypt because of the Chaldeans. For they were afraid of them, since Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahakim, whom the king of Babylon had appointed over the land. Chapter 42. Then all the commanders of the military forces, Jehoiah, the son of Koriah, and Jezaniah, the son of Hashashiah, Hoshiah, Hoshiah, having trouble with these ancient Hebrew names today, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people, both small and great, approached, and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let your supplication come before you, please let our supplication come before you, and pray for us to Yahweh your God, that is, for all this remnant, because we remain but a few out of many, as your own eyes now see us, that Yahweh your God may tell us the way in which we should walk and the things that we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, Behold, I have heard you. Behold, I am going to pray to Yahweh your God in accordance with your words, and I will tell you the whole message which Yahweh will answer you. I will not keep back a word from you. And they said to Jeremiah, May Yahweh be true and a faithful witness 
against us if we do not act in accordance with the whole message with which Yahweh your God will send us. Whether it is good or bad, we will listen to the voice of Yahweh our God, to whom we are sending you, so that good may come to us when we listen to the voice of Yahweh our God. Now it happened that the, at the end of ten days the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. Then he called for Johanan the son of Koriah and all the commanders of the military force that were with him, and for all the people, small and great, and said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me, to present your supplications before him. If you will indeed stay in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not uproot you, for I have relented of the calamity that I have done against you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you are now fearing. Do not be afraid of him, declares Yahweh, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I will also show you compassion, so that he will have compassion on you and return you to your own soil. But if you are going to say, We will not stay in this land, so as not to listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, saying, No, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will stay there. Then now, listen to the word of Yahweh, O remnant of Judah. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, If you really set your face to enter Egypt, and you will enter to sojourn there, then the sword which you are afraid of will overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine about which you are anxious will follow closely after you there in Egypt, and you will die there. So all the men who set their face to go to Egypt to sojourn there will die by the sword, by the famine, and by pestilence, and they will have no survivors or any who escape from the calamity that I am going to bring on them. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and wrath have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you will become a curse, an object of horror, an imprecation, and a reproach, and you will see this place no more. Yahweh has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah. Do not go into Egypt. You should clearly know that today I have testified against you, for you have only led yourselves astray. For it is you who sent me to Yahweh your God, saying, Pray for us to Yahweh our God, and according to all that Yahweh our God says, tell us so, and we will do it. So I have told you today, but you have not listened to the voice of Yahweh your God, even according to all that he has sent me to tell you. So now, you should clearly know that you will die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to sojourn. Now Psalm 147. Praise Yah, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. Yahweh builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He is the one who heals the brokenhearted and who binds up their wounds, who counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His discernment is infinite. Yahweh helps up the afflicted, and brings down the wicked to the ground. Sing to Yahweh with thanksgiving. Sing praises to our God on the lyre. He is the one who covers the heavens with clouds, the one who provides rain for the earth, the one who makes grass to sprout on the mountains, who gives to the animals its food and to the young ravens which call out. He does not delight in the might of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. Yahweh is pleased with those who fear him 
those who wait for his loving kindness. Loud Yahweh, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthened the bars of your gates. He blessed your sons within you. He is the one who sets peace in your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of the wheat, the one who sends forth his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. The one who gives snow like wool, he scatters the frost like ashes, who casts forth his ice as fragments, who can, who can stand before his cold. He sends forth his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow, and so the waters flow. Who declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel? He has not done so with any nation. So as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise Yah. And now 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those attend allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished among your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, strengthen, confirm, and ground you. To him be might forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and bearing witness that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. So does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, peace be to you all who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance, to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, well, I want to talk a little bit about the death penalty in the Bible today, mainly 
because of the news that came out last week. Um, the Parkland shooter, Nicholas Cruz, who killed 17 people and wounded another 17 back in 2018 at uh, Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Um, he was convicted. Actually, I think he pled guilty. Um, I think I think he pled guilty, but he may have been convicted. I, I wasn't really following the trial. But the news came out last week that having been convicted, the sentencing phase was going forward, and he did not receive the death penalty. He was given life in prison without parole. And according to Florida law, um, in a death penalty case, the judge does not have the discretion to pass sentence. The jury decides the sentencing phase as well. And it takes a unanimous vote to sentence someone to death. And the vote was 11 for death, one against. And therefore, Nicholas Cruz was sentenced to life in prison without parole. And there has been a lot of moral discussion about the death penalty. Is the death penalty moral? Is it the right thing to do? Is it justice? And this was something that, that I had never done a biblical look at the death penalty until the Oklahoma City bomber, what was his name? I can't remember his name. That's good. He needs to be forgotten. But the, the Oklahoma City bomber was sentenced to death. The, the man that had used a fuel uh, fertilizer fuel bomb in a, a rider truck to blow up the federal building in Oklahoma City. And he was sentenced to death in federal court under terrorism laws and was indeed executed. And there was quite a bit of discussion at that time about the morality of the death penalty. And so I decided, because I hadn't ever done it, to, I don't even remember when this was, that this would have been in the late 90s? Because I think... Wasn't Bill well? Bill Clinton was president when the when the uh, bombing took place, and I think he was still president when the the bomber was executed. And so late nineties, so quite a while back. And I decided, although it doesn't seem that long, oh man, time flies when you get older. It really does. I, I look back on, you know, my 57 years of life and I shouldn't be this old. It, 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 it's gone by quickly. But in any case, the, uh, the Oklahoma City bomber was being put to death and I decided to look at the death penalty in the scriptures. 
Now, I'm not going to walk through walk you through all of the scriptures I looked at, but I'm going to give you the key ones today. First, let me say this. The death penalty is justice. And I think it is entirely underutilized because the death penalty was not reserved in scripture for a very select few high crimes of, you know, premeditated with, uh, what is it? Premeditated with aggravating circumstances is the way the, the law reads in many states. And those are the only people that are subject to the death penalty. Quite frankly, according to scriptures, anyone who murders another human being should be put to death. Genesis 9, this predates the law given to Israel. Genesis 9, verses 5 and 6. God says, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every living thing I will require it, and from every man and from each man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And interestingly, in verse 4, it says if an animal kills a man, the animal is to be put to death because he killed someone who was made in the image of God. So, clearly there's a distinction between man and animals. Only man is created in the image of God. goes back to Genesis 1 and 2. And God requires the death penalty for murder. Not for accidental death. There's all sorts of things elsewhere that, that cover accidental death. But for the intentional murder of a person, the death penalty is mandated by God. It is ordained. And this is for every nation. This wasn't just for Israel. Because this was given when there were only eight people on the earth. And so everyone who is descended from those eight people, which is all of us, were subject to this ordinance of God. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So anyone who has killed a person who is made in the image of God owes God his life, the ultimate penalty for the ultimate crime. And this goes way beyond mass shootings. This is, in general, most first-degree murder. <laughs> I mean, there might be extenuating circumstances where somebody wouldn't be put to death. But for the vast majority of murder cases the convicted person should be put to death. And we see that in the New Testament as well. Romans 13, 3 and 4. Now we've looked at Romans 13 a lot in the last couple of years in regards to the limits of government's authority. But God has authorized government. God has... Um, uh, or what's the word I'm looking for? 
just had it, just slipped out of my mind. Um, God has delegated authority to government for specific purposes, specifically to punish evil and reward good. Government doesn't get to define good or evil, but government is to punish evil and reward good. That is its mandate from God. And we've looked about government going beyond that mandate and things that government has no right to be interfering with. But at the same time, government has a mandate from God for a specific purpose. Now listen to this. This is verses 3 and 4 of Romans 13. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear from that authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword in vain. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. It being the authority that is delegated from God, the, the civil authority, the governing authority, is a minister of God to you for good. If you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword in vain. It does not bear the sword for no reason. Now, a sword is a deadly implement. This is referring to the power of life and death that is delegated to government for the punishment of evil. This is about capital punishment. This is about the taking of a life as the punishment for a crime, the just punishment for a crime. So in the Old Testament, we see that those who shed man's blood shall have their blood shed by man. And in the New Testament, we see that government is the instrument that God has ordained to shed the blood of men who shed the blood of men. Does that make sense? Murder is to be punished by death, and it is the government to whom God has granted the authority to do so. Now, in the Old Testament, God commands the death penalty for murder, but in the law, ancient law of Israel, he commands the death penalty for many other crimes. So, you know, now worshiping of false gods, witchcraft and sorcery, all of these things were, were designated as death penalties in ancient Egypt. One of the death penalties that I would have absolutely no problem seeing enforced that was in place in ancient Egypt is the death penalty for rape. I'd be good with that. Perfectly good with that. So God commands the death penalty in the Old Testament for many, many crimes. But God sets a, a high standard of proof. If someone's life is going to be taken, there has to be proof of the crime. Now, the standard of proof is the same for every crime, whether it's a death penalty case or not, in ancient Israel. And that is two or three witnesses. You will not put somebody to death on a, de on a uh, testimony of a single witness. Deuteronomy 17, verses 6 and 7. On the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. 
He shall not be put to death on the mouth of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. In ancient Israel, the death penalty, the, the, the method of execution was stoning, in which all of the people in the community would throw stones at the convicted criminal until they were dead. And uh, so that was the, and, and this says that the witnesses are to be the ones who cast the first stone. So this was the justice. This is decreed by God that this was how people in ancient Israel were to be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses, not one witness. You had to have you know, a high standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, you know, you had to be, you know, not, not more likely than not that he killed him, but you have to have, yeah, this is the guy that killed him. And on that basis, the person would be put to death. And so when we have somebody who, you know, is undeniably the killer and all the evidence is there, then the death penalty should be should be used. And I see Western civilization's abandonment of the death penalty as another indication of rebellion against God. If you look at the the liberalization of Europe and the descendants of European nations, by that I mean Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, um, places that were colonized and, and, and settled by Western Europeans who brought Western European culture to dominate those areas. You go back, you know, to the end of World War II and nobody batted an eye at the death penalty. If someone committed a capital offense, they received capital punishment and everybody by and large was in favor of it. But since World War II, in Western Europe and in the United States, we have seen quote-unquote progressives pushing to have the death penalty abolished. Um, I laugh at the fact that there's the, there's the phrase in, in the Constitution of the United States that prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. Um, at the same time, the Constitution itself contains mentions of the death penalty. So clearly, the founders, the drafters of the Constitution, did not view the death penalty as cruel and unusual punishment. So what was the cruel and unusual punishment that they were uh, denigrating? Well, remember, the colonists were English, and in England for centuries, the penalty for treason 
was to be hung, drawn, and quartered, which, while not as lingering of a death as crucifixion, was a very horrible way to die. person was hung, not in such a way that broke their neck, but to, to choke them. And they would be hung until they were almost dead. Then they would be cut down. Then their body would be mutilated while they were still alive. Their intestines would be drawn out. And then they would be beheaded, the body cut into quarters, the head displayed on a spike over the city gates, and the quarters of the body sent to the four corners of the kingdom and put on display as a warning of what happens to traitors. That was the English penalty for treason. And it happened. You know, um, it, it happened, or we we're coming up on November, it happened to the, the, uh, the plotters uh, the, of the gunpowder plot. Those that survived and were captured were hung, drawn, and quartered. Um, it happened to William Wallace. It's depicted in the movie Braveheart. So the, the, this was the cruel and unusual punishment that they were banning. They were saying, if you're going to put somebody to death, put them to death. You don't need to torture them to death. Um, and so that was the cruel and unusual punishment that was being held out. Yet in modern times, we have people decrying the death penalty itself as cruel and unusual punishment. And that's just not the way God intended, and it's not the way the framers of our Constitution intended, the death penalty is just when um, it is justly administered. And while there are, you know, certainly improvements that can be made to our justice system, the death penalty for um, capital crimes is one of the things that would improve our society. Look at the, the rising crime rate. Look at the murder rate in Chicago and Baltimore and, and these, these Democrat-controlled cities that have been controlled by Democrats for generations. These leftist progressive cities that have the worst crime rates. Because they don't punish criminals. Remember it said there in Deuteronomy 17, 7? So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Elsewhere it says that people will, will hear of this and be afraid. The death penalty is a deterrent. It's a deterrent in two ways. First, the criminal executed will never commit another crime against another human being just won't happen. And also, the fear of the death penalty restrains criminals. Quite frankly, folks, most people don't commit crimes because they're afraid of getting caught. And when the penalty for getting caught is done away with, 
the crime rate soars. Look at the snatch and grabs that are taking place in many cities where they have said, we're not going to prosecute shoplifters because we're too busy with other stuff. Shoplifting went through the roof. Their, their videos, I've, I've watched them of people with shopping carts, filling them with stuff from the store and then running away <laughs> with their shopping cart full of stuff. Because the prosecutor in the town has said they won't prosecute these crimes. So these crimes have gone up. Don't tell me fear of getting caught doesn't stop criminal activity. And fear of the death penalty would stop a lot of capital crime. But it's never enforced. It's never carried out. Very few. There, there's a, uh, I was reading an article this morning talking about the, the Parkland shooter and the fact that he got life imprisonment without parole. There is actually a movement to have life imprisonment without parole declared a, a cruel and unusual punishment. So eventually, some mass murderer can be let back out onto the street. That happened in, in uh, oh, where was it? Was it Denmark, Sweden, somewhere in Scandinavia, gosh, years ago? A guy shot up a summer camp, I think. Killed a bunch of kids. And they don't have the death penalty. And they don't have life in prison without parole. He went to a plush... Uh, and a plush, I mean, we're talking comfy chairs and big screen TVs, mental institution. And I believe he's out. Because... They did not execute justice. And quite frankly, life without possibility of parole is injustice in these cases. The lack of the death penalty for murder and certain other crimes is not justice. It's injustice. And... As I said, it's another sign of our society's rebellion against God. And it's one of the things that it's, it's you know, we just see these things in society that just tell us that our, our society is in full-on rebellion against God. You know, the, the sexual deviancy that we talked about yesterday and and the fact that the death penalty is underutilized. It is not administered in cases where it ought to be. And so, yeah, I am in favor of the death penalty. The Bible mandates it in many cases, both Old and New Testament, as the just punishment for certain evils in our country, in our nation, in our land so that the evil should be purged from among us. You want a safe society? Punish crime. Punish crime appropriately. Punish crime proportionally. Small crimes get small punishments. Big crimes get big punishments. And that is justice. 
All right, folks, that's Squirrel Chatter for Tuesday. Hope you have a great day today. Hope all your tasks get done with, uh, with uh, alacrity and joy. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.